0: Fred, like a dog, you know, he does like to dig holes, and he dug it out of me and connected me with a version of myself that I had thought I'd lost.
1: I'm Phil Hatterman, and you're listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today on Dog Words, Marine veteran and author Craig Grossi tells us how he and Fred, an amazing dog he found in Afghanistan, rescued each other. Craig is the author of Craig and Fred, a Marine, a Stray Dog, and How They Rescued Each Other, And his wonderful follow-up book, Second Chances, A Marine, His Dog, and Finding Redemption. Several times when doing interviews for DogWords, I've mentioned how the guest and I have talked at length either before or after the interview and could post a lot more content. I even mentioned in this episode that I might just drop in the conversation Craig and I had before I actually started the interview as part of the podcast. But I'm not going to do that, and you'll feel cheated. Because when you listen to Craig talk about Fred and everything that he's learned from Fred and what Fred has done for so many people, you'll want to hear more from him. But there's still a great opportunity to do that. Just as I can recommend Craig's two books without reservation, they deserve the highest praise, I also highly recommend a podcast that he does with his wife, Nora Parkington, Stubbornly Positive. He mentions it in the interview, and I've gone back and listened to every episode. When I started listening, I thought... It's best if people at least read the first book before listening. But as I continued to listen, I realized it doesn't really matter. Read the book first, listen to the podcast first, start on the book and then listen to a few episodes of the podcast because it's all going in the same direction, but just from a slightly different angle. In most episodes of the podcast, you're introduced to someone who was either a key figure in Fred's life in Afghanistan or has been an important figure in Craig's journey before and after his service in the military. In the first episode... Craig and Nora make an announcement that reveals Fred is even more special than we realized. So enjoy Craig's books, enjoy Craig and Nora's podcast, and stay tuned to enjoy his interview on Dog Words. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. You can support Rosie Fund by making a donation on our website or Facebook page, You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards featuring Rosie and Peaches and our shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Any donation amount is greatly appreciated, but here are some popular levels. $30 provides a collar and leash for a Rosie Life Starter Kit dog and $100 covers their entire kit. You can also support Rosie Fund by downloading, subscribing, rating, and most importantly, sharing dog words. Follow us on social media, even if you aren't looking for a dog. Watching and sharing the videos helps our channel gain exposure, bringing awareness to our cause, and giving shelter dogs much needed attention. Our free Rosie Fund YouTube channel offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs looking for their forever home. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions, especially if you have an idea for a topic or guest. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Next time on DogWords, we visit a very special rescue group that helps heal animals and people. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life we thank you for joining our mission. Today's guest on Dog Words is Craig Grossi, author, speaker, marine vet, and animal welfare advocate. And I would also suggest human welfare advocate. Yeah, Welcome to Dog Words, Craig.
0: Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's really fun to be here. Really great to learn about what you guys do and and, uh, and just put in our, our side of it too. and Just what, you know, I feel like we're where if we were in uh if we were playing a sport we'd be on the same team. <laughs> yes, we complement
1: each other and yeah, uh but totally we have it. the same goal. Yeah, I love it. I'll let the audience know we've been talking for quite a while and I may just yeah. drop that into the interview that we post cuz we had I think a lot of great content. We could just stop right now and sign off, but we're going to go deeper cuz we really didn't get to talk that much about how you met Fred, how Fred came into your life and yeah what Fred's done for you and others. And we're not going to cover all of that because we don't have time because you've already written two books Uh, about the power of Fred. So tell our audience just a little bit about who you are and who Fred is.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I am very much, uh, you know, just your standard issue American veteran. I saw eight years in the Marines. I served in Afghanistan, ended up in a really rough spot. But, but, you know, that was exactly what I had signed up for. And it was the area called Sangin. And when I showed up in Afghanistan, I was on the intelligence side and specifically human intelligence. So, you know, that is a fancy way of saying my job was to connect with people and learn about the environment, and specifically the Afghani people who were caught, you know, in the middle and were just being harassed by the Taliban. And so we we went into this area called Sangin in the summer of 2010, and before we go in, that we get we're getting briefed by intelligence analysts and people who are monitoring the area with drones, and they're showing us video of the Taliban just walking around like openly carrying their weapons, openly just harassing people, like taking whatever they want from you know shops or whatever, and it, like they're setting up checkpoints, and they just have total control. It's it's unlike anything that like some people had ever seen. They'd never seen them like just like that brazenly walking around. And so we were going in in the middle of the night and we would insert out of the back of helicopters and be all on our own. There was no established ground there. We would have to find a, a house and basically occupy it and just hope for the best. And they were managing expectations, you know, and they were expecting to, that we would lose a lot of Marines, everybody always had to have an empty duffel bag with them in case somebody, in case you got shot or, or hurt, because one of the things that has to happen is all your gear has to come off and it has to go somewhere. So you have to have an empty duffel bag with you that they can put your stuff in so they can carry it when they're medevac'ing you. So anyway, this is all just to paint the picture of of how harsh an environment that Fred, Fred came from, because... We inserted it that first night and that first morning, everything that they had predicted came true. We found a little house and we fortified it as best we could just with sandbags. And that first morning, the first thing we saw was people. And it was all the locals, all the villagers that could, that had the ability, fleeing the valley with everything they could carry. They um, had their donkeys and they had their elderly in wheelbarrows and they're pushing them up this hill and they're all coming towards us. And I, I went out with my interpreter and started talking to some of them and, and they were just, all they would say was, that you know, Taliban's coming, Taliban's coming. And they just wanted to get out of the middle. And they ended up occupying compounds around ours. And that was pretty hair-raising, just knowing that they didn't even want to stay in their homes. They they knew that there was a fight coming. and And the next thing that happened was we were surrounded by almost 200 Taliban fighters. And the best we could have was maybe eight Marines returning fire on just a overwhelming force. And we held that little piece of ground for that first week against just repeated, consistent, accurate attacks. And in between defending ourselves and holding that little house, we'd look around and, and uh, you'd be getting some water and kind of talking to some of the other guys. And I was an intelligence guy, so you know I did whatever these the Marines I was with were reconnaissance Marines. Recon Marines are just an incredible, incredible group of people and and um, and you know so I during those moments, I just kind of did what they told me to and and um, you know, I remember getting a bottle of water and and you know, taking a break and and I just saw this dog. I saw there was lots of strays, but this one right away just caught my eye. um he it was the middle of the day. It was like a, probably one hundred and you know fifteen degrees. And he's out trotting around in the sun, and most of the dogs, you know, as you can imagine, don't come out during the day. They they wait till nighttime when it's cool, and they that's when they come out. And they're always in packs, and they're howling and 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 screaming and fighting with each other. You know, they, and they don't really resemble you know dogs that we understand here in the states. And and here's this funny little guy in the middle of the day, all by himself, and he's just kind of picking through some trash and kind of digging in the dirt. And I just, just made me smile just looking at him. And every day or so I'd get a look at him and I would kind of look started looking for him. Like, where's that little dog? And after that first week, things calmed down and and I I was getting my computer out and starting to send reports back on what we had seen and what some of the locals had told us about the Taliban and how they were operating and some of the names that I was learning and 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 I see him again. I see this little dog again all by himself. And I couldn't help it. I just I had grabbed a piece of jerky and I started walking over to him and I got kind of you know a good look at him for the first time I got about maybe 12 feet from him and I could see he was covered in bugs he was hot he was hungry he, I could see his ribs you know like and I was like ah all right never mind like I should probably just leave him alone you know he's he's young but he's old enough to have become a feral dog that's you know doesn't understand what a human you know is or what what i have to offer him you know like and so i I started to to turn around and i heard i heard this little thump 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 coming from him and it was his tail his tail was wagging and i was like what you know like this dog has nothing to wag his tail about he's all on his own in a and arguably the worst place a dog could be you know if we're talking about what we understand as. Uh, a dog to be and and here he is wagging his tail at a total stranger i mean it was it blew me away and so i i i held that jerky out to him and and he stood up and he he just surprised me again he took it so gently and so politely and then he let me pet him you know and it just like the stress and the chaos of that battlefield just melted away in those first moments and i i mean i was i've always been a dog person fred is actually my first dog if you told me when i was a kid and i was campaigning every night to have my own dog that I would have to wait until I was 27 and I would be thousands of miles from home, you know, in a combat zone to meet my first dog that, you know, I would have thought you were, you know, obviously thought you were out of your mind, but you know, those first moments with Fred, I go back to all the time because the whole story of how he got home and how I first, just the first, the first leg of his journey was getting him out of Sangin and that, that that was harrowing in itself. But then the, the rest of his journey from Afghanistan to the States, you know, is just incredible. But the, it all started with those first moments and, and when he made that choice to wag his tail. And then when I came home, it was Fred's turn to kind of rescue me back. And he did that in two ways. He did it by being a dog, by doing mm-hmm. what dogs do, connecting us not only with them, but with the world around us. And I, I lived in Washington, D.C., I got out of the Marines very quickly when I came home and got a, a, a good desk government job, you know, working for, in the intelligence world on paper, everything looks great, but I was not okay mentally. And Fred pulled me into the community in DC and, and, you know, in the dog parks and just walk, just walking him around. It was like being uh, like walking around with a celebrity because everywhere he's, this, he's just this force and he just pulls people in you know, and he's just so handsome, you know, and everybody wanted to, would stop me and want to know what kind of dog he is. And I would always just make up a breed. I would just say, you know, he's a pocket wolf or something. Cause I didn't <laughs> want to talk about it. I didn't want, I was trying to do the like strong, quiet, you know, veteran, you know, type kind of thing, you know, where you just, you know, yeah, I've been through a lot of stuff, but I don't like to talk about it. Like that was kind of the, the role I was trying to take. And and one day at the dog park, somebody asked me what kind of dog he was. And I think the reason I, I opened up to this person was that she, she didn't follow it up with an assumption because that's what a lot of people do. Like, oh, what kind of dog is that? It looks like it's part Corgi, right? Everybody mm-hmm. thinks Fred's part Corgi, which we have found out is not true. So she didn't follow it up with it with any kind of an assumption. It, the question just hung there in the air. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell you how, what kind of dog he is. And I just launched into the whole story. And on the walk back to our apartment, I just I just broke down and started to cry because I'm looking down at Fred like, dude, you did it, man. <laughs> you pulled, you know, you pulled it out of me and talking about it made me feel better. And so I started talking about it more. And the more I talked about it, the more I remembered. And the more I remembered, the more purpose I found in the pain that I had been through and the and the, the loss that i had suffered in the loss of some of my marines and and the, the trauma of like just seeing people the afghani people in such such pain and discomfort and and, and um you know and, and it just it started to materialize in a good way it yeah, it's I painful affect- to acknowledge those issues but whether you yeah. acknowledge
1: them or not they're still there
0: exactly and i was ready to bury them and Fred, like a dog, you know, he does like to dig holes and he dug it out of me and connected me with a version of myself that I had thought I'd lost in high school. I had a horrible grades, but I was very good at being on stage at making people laugh at connecting with people at telling stories. You know, I never missed a chance to be in a skit or, you know, do the morning announcements like whatever it was. I, I just I loved it. Now because of this story i get, i get to travel the country and tell it on stage at universities at schools at corporate functions at fundraisers like it's just so much fun and it's so meaningful because i am starting to see the again like the just like those first couple times i told the story the more i tell it the more places i tell it and the more people that hear it the more i see how important it is to, for all of us to share our stories and uh, I, I mean, it all goes back to Fred wagging his tail at me in those first moments, because when I started to tell the story, I started to see the significance in the fact that he did that and the fact that he wagged his tail at me in those first moments when we were together. And I was like, man, if this dog in a place like Afghanistan, in a place like Sangin could find it in himself to wag his tail at the world when he had no reason to, then what's my excuse? You know, why, why am I, why am I so focused on all the things that are going wrong in my life? Why am I so focused on, on being, you know, just negative about everything and, and, and feeling like, you know, the, the, like the, the world is against me. Like I, it's just such a, a toxic way of looking at things. And I started to see like, there's a lot of significance in this. And if Fred hadn't wagged his tail at me, his life would have stayed the same. Mm-hmm. He would never have made it out of there. And so what could happen in my life if I flipped the way I looked at the world and if I started to wag my tail at all of my obstacles and at, at all of my adversity. And it's, it's blown it wide open in the best way.
1: Yeah, yeah wagging the tail shows people. It's a sign that yeah. I'm receptive to what you have to offer. Let's right. connect.
0: Right. And it's ultimately, it's, it's vulnerable he was making himself vulnerable by doing that. He
1: could have growled and bared his teeth, tucked his tail, slunk away. And that would would make perfect sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm working on a third book and I've been doing a lot of reading about humans. And one of my, one of my favorite books that I can't recommend enough is it's called humankind. It's by a guy named Rucker Bregman. And it's not just his, it's a lot of the new kind of science and research into, into how we've, you know, kind of evolved as people is based on this idea that it wasn't survival of the fittest. It wasn't, you know, who was the toughest and meanest, you know, early humans that made it, it was the survival of the friendliest and the people who connected with each other the best. And that makes much more sense. If you think about it, mm-hmm. you know, people who are able to come together and learn from each other are going to evolve more and become better and survive longer and just become more, more prosperous and so there's a little slice of that in Fred in this instinct he had to wag his tail at me which was counter to what one of his ancestors would have done mm-hmm. you know that like, wolf or a, like a fox would have growled and tried to get me to leave him alone but he had evolved a little bit more and saw the potential in a relationship with another species you know like I'm not, it's not like I was another dog I'm just I'm just I'm this other being you know and he who looks very his-
1: different from the beings that he's used to encountering. You're right, dressed different. Right. You're carrying yourself different.
0: That's another great point. Yeah. You would see people who took care of dogs. It was usually the farmers or sheep farmers would always have a dog around, you know, but it wasn't, it's clearly, you know, just to protect their flock. Yeah, it's a working dog, not a family pet. Yeah. And Fred is a little guy. He's a little little runt, you know, and so he had no value to, to anybody there. And the people, you know, people in a situation like that are just worried about their day-to-day. They can't be thinking about taking care of a dog. So, yeah, I'm sure the first eight, ten months of his life was avoiding people because nobody wanted him around. Mm-hmm. He was a, you know, so here's here competition. Comes, yeah, and here comes a person. He wants their person. food and water. And here comes a person, and he still has it in him to wag his tail, and it's just... It's, I've been telling this story for for a long time, and it, the the meaning behind it only increases the more I tell it, and the more I I learn about the world and and uh, you know how how we really are really um, wired to operate. You know,
1: I'm excited when you tell me you're writing a third book because I've already read
0: oh, of course, cool.
1: two. Yeah. Nice. I'm Thank holding you. them up, but you can't see it because I have my uh, yeah. blur screen on in the background. Okay, right now, so it's, yeah,
0: that's it's awesome.
1: But Craig and Fred, a Marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other, you just shared that story as briefly as it possibly could be shared.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. worth reading
1: it the whole book. Like, and you know, I'm, I'm still long. If you're thinking sorry. spoilers, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There, there's a few spoilers in what Craig's already shared, but but read the whole book. And then Second Chances, a Marine, his dog, and Finding Redemption. I want to talk about both of them, but let's start at the beginning with – Craig and Fred, I'm going to link to your website and I'm also going to link to a website that will allow people to shop for the book, but also to find out more about, you know, getting Craig for speaking events or just following him on social media and following Fred on social media and getting updates on Fred. But in addition to the version that I read of Craig and Fred, there's a young readers edition. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of that when I read it because I'm reading it thinking, young people, especially adolescents who are at that point in life where they're figuring out who am I, who is the world, how do I fit in, what's my future, how should I make choices, but then I get to parts that I think, okay, there might be some adolescents who aren't ready for this language yeah. or this graphic description, and then to see that's been addressed.
0: Yeah, and I love that I was able to do that. Harper Collins, my publisher, is William Morrow, specifically, is the the division. But uh, yeah, that they were they were all about doing that. It was their their suggestion, and and uh, so it was really just a matter of thinking about it from a young reader's perspective. And basically, just the two big things we did were to take out the marine talk mm-hmm. and uh, and restructure the chapters so that they read chronologically. So in the in the regular version, the one chapter takes place. In the states and i'm on a road trip with fred and my friend josh and we're you know just kind of coming of age like just trying to figure out what we want to do after college after the military and then the next chapter is in afghanistan and it's like you know and it's intense and it's stressful and, and then the next chapter and then they, they alternate like that and then in um in the young reader they're just it starts in in afghanistan and kind of you know just progresses naturally it's very approachable When I first set out to write Craig and Fred, I just I just wanted to write the book like that was if I could get the story published, I would have just been that was my goal. I could have never imagined that I would have parents and teachers and, and kids, you know, doing book reports and reaching out to me and saying, this is the first chapter book I've ever read, you know, like cover to cover. And to having teachers say that, you know, they're, they've are they never had a student be able to sit still, you know, and they give them this book and like they, they, they can't find them. then they find them in like the corner and they're like, you know, they're just got their nose in it. And it's, uh I, you know, above and beyond my expectations. And it's just makes me want to want to write more, which I'd love to do. And, and again, everything, everything about my life comes back to Fred and him wagging his tail at me, my, you know, all the. Um, so many amazing people that I've met, my wife included, I owe to, to Fred, <laughs> um, you know, like we, her, her and I, when we first met connected over our dogs, she had just gotten her dog um, Ruby, who's now my, my little girl too. And, and uh, you know, we, we just connected over our dogs. And so if I hadn't had Fred to talk about, you know, I would have been a lot less interesting, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, so it's all of this is because of, of a, of a dog. And it's just uh, I'm so, so lucky and so grateful that I get to, to share this this story and, and try to encourage people to find their Fred, whether it's a dog or a cat or a lizard or, you know, a peacock or, what, you know, like it doesn't, you know, whatever animal it is that can connect you to the world and also to yourself, there's no wrong way to do that.
1: That certainly comes through in Craig and Fred. You can't recommend Bregman's book highly enough. I can't recommend Craig and Fred, and Second Chances, highly enough. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And a memoir like yours, it's one thing if it's a memoir of someone who's 100 years old. This is the story. You get to the end and think, wow, what a life. You get to the end of Craig and Fred, you're young, and then the question is, what is next? And you answer that in Second Chances Mm because you – sort of find yourself and your purpose in Craig and Fred
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and someone could tell that story about themselves. It's like, okay, great. This is who you think you are, what you think you want to do. Fine. But then do you actually do it? Does it actually happen? And second Mm -hmm. chances is really validation of the first book, Craig and Fred. It's you continuing to give back and sharing and giving the opportunities to others that Fred gave to you.
0: Oh Yeah, that's really, I'm so glad you put it like that, I mean. Thank you. Yeah, that's, and he did it again. When I went to Main State Prison to meet with the prison book club who had read Craig and Fred, I had put up mental kind of walls. I was expecting, you know, all right, like, let's do this. Let's go in and I'll be in and out. I'll be in there a couple hours, and, you know, I won't, uh, these, this is not an environment. I worked in prisons for four years. Yeah, my you, first yeah you discussed
1: day. that in the first book, and then, of course, in much yeah. more detail in this book. So you didn't yeah. come to corrections from the perspective of, I don't know what I'm walking into, and I've been invited to do this or pursuing this. You had a very specific concept of what a corrections environment was.
0: Exactly, exactly, and I'm like watching Fred prance through the parking lot into the waiting room and like behind the wall, you know, of this prison. And I'm like, like eye rolling at him, like, dude, you have no idea where you are. This is not a nice place, you know. And if he could talk, he would have been like, "Shut up, just let me do my thing." Yeah. You do you know? remember when we were in Sanguin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> this is better. And, yeah, exactly and it, it, that's you know fred leading me in there and blowing those walls down and introducing me to again people who are just incredible and I, i'm i second chances was such a privilege because i got the chance to to get yeah to give you know the the guys a little bit of what uh what fred had given me and, and but that was like just under the surface like all i had to do was tap a little bit those guys were just waiting and and screaming for somebody to come and just spend a little time with them. Like I didn't do anything profound, like Randy Liberty, the warden, who's now the commissioner for the whole state, for the whole, all of the correctional programs here in Maine, the work he had done when he took over there is just incredible, you know? And so I just followed Fred into the building and, and stumbled into this amazing place that I was so lucky that I got to the opportunity to, to spend time there and to share you know, what I was experiencing.
1: When you met Fred, you might not have described yourself as a storyteller, but you were, Mm -hmm. but you weren't an author. And so it wasn't until you get your degree from Georgetown and and have some other experiences that you realize, I need to write this down. I need to tell this story. But when you go to the prison, now you are author Craig Grossi. Mm Mm-hmm at what point did you realize I'm in the middle of a story I need to share?
0: That's a good question. I pretty early, I would say like the second visit, because the first visit I was like, just kind of, wow, like this, this environment is amazing. And I told Randy, like, I just want to come back. I just want to spend time with these guys, with the the men who are, you know, incarcerated, which is like not something people would expect anybody to say, you know, that you, you would volunteer your time to go and spend time with them. And I would say that the second, because the because your the first second,
1: visit wasn't the first in a series. That was a one-off. That was yeah. You exactly. didn't walk I, in I, thinking, okay, I'll get the lay of the yeah. land, and then I'll we'll no. do a series of visits. Well,
0: I got, I just got a tour and uh, met with, and like had, did like answered questions about. You did Fred never expect and, to be there again. No, and I, I connected with one guy that first visit, named Michael Kidd who was training a dog. It was his first service dog that he was training for a veteran and the dog was getting ready to graduate. And I was like, man, if you're interested, like I'd love to read a little bit of like, w- you know, if you want to write down what this dog has done for you, I would love to read it. And I'm sure it would, you know, others would love to read it. And, and so when I came back, he had written pages and just waiting
1: for someone to ask, just yeah, waiting for someone to was, wag their
0: tail. It was really good. It was really good writing. So I was like, man, I, I, I want to come back and just hang out with Michael Kidd and if other guys want to come and hang out too, that's great. But like this guy is, you know, really a special and it turned out there was a lot of really special guys in there. And we, we started a writing program, which was, you know, probably the least academic writing program you could imagine. It was just very informal, but very, we got a lot done in terms of just working through things and, and um, those guys, need a, a way and need a place to vent this, you know, the, the environment they're living in is so stressful and so toxic. And, you know, a lot of times it would turn into them just venting, but a, a, most of the time it was them reaching deep and expressing, you know, their trauma and their, you know, they're telling a story. And some of them are funny. Some of them are just, you know, funny memories that they have. And I miss those. I miss, I miss my guys. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm reluctant to describe either of your books based on a genre, because I don't want to limit the appeal. Hmm. For instance, Craig and Fred, it's not a war memoir. It's not a travel log. It's not a buddy story. It's, it's all of these things that is accessible to anyone like a good documentary about cars. It's like, well, I'm not a car person, but if it's a good documentary, This is interesting. This is fascinating. These are good books, and Second Chances does something that Craig and Fred does much more personally. You talk about your personal journey, and there's a little bit of other veterans' journey in how they intersect with yours and kind of open your eyes to here's how other people are dealing with issues I'm dealing with. Second chances, because of the format that—not to undersell this—that you stumbled into. Oh yeah, totally is yeah. wonderful. The Thank writing you. assignments that you give, and here's why I want to be careful about how I word this: <laughs> this book is not going to be in the self-help section in a bookstore. Right. But for someone to read it and to come to some sort of epiphany or raised awareness or facing some issues and it's not that you're giving writing assignments that are talk about your most traumatic experience it's more just reflective but they're but they're sneaky (laughs) it's something that you talked about michael kidd you just you know tell me about your experience with this dog and then he just writes pages i'm sure when he sat down he thought okay, I'll I'll write a paragraph or two about what this dog, and then when you start writing, all of a sudden you're on page 12.
0: Yeah, right. And
1: so the assignments that you give the inmates, a reader can't help but reflect on, how would I do that? And I would encourage anyone who reads the book, take your time with the book. When you get Mm -hmm. to a writing assignment, stop and do it.
0: Oh, that's a good suggestion, yeah.
1: And then read, because I don't doubt that there are teachers who are doing that. You talked about how people are telling you that their students can't put these books down. I could see a teacher in any number of classes, not just an English class or a writing class. Yeah. Have people read Craig's book and do the writing assignments before you read the answers from the inmates. Right. That'd
0: be really fun. Yeah.
1: So yeah, it's it's a a great book. It's a great read and both of them fill a lot of roles that, someone might be looking for in a book.
0: That's a great endorsement. That means a lot to me. You know, it's, you talk about giving the guys what Fred gave me, and that was the best way I could think to do it because I was in a place when I came home from Afghanistan where if somebody had said, hey, you need to go to therapy, or hey, you need to work on yourself, I would have been like, screw you, man. Like, you know, I would have never. I made it home. I already won. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, what do, like, what do I have to feel bad about? Like, I came home with with all my digits, you know, and, and that's why when I lo- I remember telling the story for the first time and looking down at friend being like you, you did it, you know, you little punk, you, know, you pulled it out. And because it was it was natural. It was a natural kind of way. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you're somebody that if you are in a bad space mentally, or, you know, whatever, like, and somebody says, Hey, you should get help. Hopefully, some people will be like, Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. But I, I was so stubborn and, and so headstrong about like I got this, you know that I like I w- I would have resisted that. I needed something from the inside to pull it out, you know to to get in behind behind the lines, and and that's what the story did. And I thought these guys in Maine State Prison are in a similar place. They're in the, the most toxically masculine place you can imagine. Mm-hmm. A prison is just like, you know, everything's a fight. Everything is up for grabs. Every, you know, every just moving around the place can be a battle. Think about all the things they have to push down. And because it's currency, you know, anything you share about yourself can become currency in, in that environment. And so I want to give them a a place to, to open up and and do that naturally without saying like, Hey, like, let's sit down and talk about your childhood. You know, like, let's, But tell me a story about your childhood. Tell me a story about your father or, you know, whatever it was. Because that's how it worked for me. Again, it's the credit goes back to goes back to Fred, you know, for just being a dog and just be, you know, just being such a little leader.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not uncommon for someone who discovers a fitness program that works for them or a diet or we talked Mm -hmm. about golf, a swing change that works for them, that they become the most zealous ambassador for that it's like you got to do yeah. this you got to do this and it would have been so easy for you to walk in on day one of the writing program and go here's my story you need yeah. to do this too yeah right. but instead again you were modeling fred and just being available i'm gonna be patient i'm hmm. gonna let you talk and the writing program isn't something where you were grading them and, oh, you guys got A's in this. Good job. You can take my advanced writing program or you're not contributing today. Why are you even here? Get out of my writing program. It's just right. here's here's what I'm offering. I'm wagging my tail. You can pet or not. You can take the treat mm-hmm. or not. Right. And then I'll see you next time.
0: Yeah. No, there were some guys that never wrote a word. There were some guys that would just come in and, you know, maybe share something verbally or they wouldn't say anything at all. But they would always – come up to me at the end and say, thank you, you know, and we're grateful for the space. And you could tell that the guys that did share the guys that, you know, really dove in that they were inspiring to the guys that couldn't do it, you know, or, or took a little longer to do it. You're absolutely right. And what I want to try to explore with the third book is, and what Rutger Bregman's book, Humankind has kind of inspired me to do is, is to find more examples of the true nature of humanity, you know, because these guys, they're amazing and incredible, but they're not, exceptional the exceptional thing about them is that they're in prison and that that they're they're still able and willing to open up like that and to share something like that and regularly you know not it wasn't once off we did it's for over a year so i i want to continue to show that in lots of different ways in lots of different places within our country cultures environments like and, and just really show people how we are really, really wired to connect and, and to be vulnerable and to share and that all the reasons that we don't do that are artificial and superficial and really rob us of a lot of joy that we could get out of, out of life.
1: The title of the book, second chances addresses not just obviously your second chances.
0: Hmm. Plenty of those. <laughs> yeah,
1: that Fred, Fred help you make some good choices, and you talk about in the book how easily you could have ended up just like these inmates that you caught some breaks. Yep. Even just getting Fred out of Afghanistan was a risk, that things could have gone a different way for you, could have impacted the way you were discharged from the military. Yep. But these inmates are there because of some choices they made they're ultimately responsible for that. And they were in environments where those were the choices they had. Mm -hmm. They could have had different outcomes with different choices, but the likelihood that this choice was made was increased by the environment they were in. And now they're in prison and they could continue to make the wrong choice. And sometimes the wrong choice is made out of anger or malicious intent. And sometimes it's just made out of ignorance. Like you don't even realize you're making a choice like, here. They're given an opportunity to make a choice that increases the likelihood of a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And that outcome isn't necessarily early release or something like that, or more no. benefits in prison. Yeah. It's I know. just having a clearer head, more yeah. peace, more mindfulness.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's not like I came in with a uh, you know with a bunch of hot pizzas and you know like cold cokes like you know we had like the same coffee that they could get in the galley and that was it like we just had a, like a pitcher of coffee on the table and and yeah it's not like I'm a certified counselor that I could off- I could like go to a board and appeal mm-hmm. on their behalf or you know parole or I mean, yeah it was literally the only thing I had to offer was something that, you know, they could have for themselves. And yeah, they came, they came running. Yeah. So
1: anybody reading either of your books and I just held it up and it was invisible again, it's right. yeah. but trust me, yeah. I held up second chances, yeah. not to get too corny, but they may not be in a literal prison, but mm. if they think just like you thought with Fred, he's making the most of being in this compound in Afghanistan. Yeah. If someone thinks I don't have options, I can't make choices. I can't answer these questions. Are you worse off than Michael Kidd and his fellow inmates that you can't at least do as much as they're doing?
0: Right. Yeah. If Fred can wag his tail in Afghanistan and Michael Kidd and the other guys can show up to a, you know, to a writing group that offers them nothing material or, you know, but only something that's, you know, that within presents themselves. risk. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. And they, and they show up week after week and it's not to dismiss whatever somebody's going through, but to just give you some agency, give you some power. And, and it's, it's, uh, we've, I started, we've called it stubborn positivity because that's the only thing I could think to kind of call what Fred, you know, Fred is a stubborn dog. Uh, I won't sugarcoat it. He gets his way. He's not, um, you know, he's not. I love love Labradors. Some of Fred's best friends are Labradors, and and uh, you know, a Labrador for the most part, in my experience, is very obedient and very much wants to mm-hmm. do very the right accommodating. thing. Yeah, and Fred is Fred is his own guy. You know, like if Fred could drive the truck, he would he would, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and uh, we would just be passengers. So he's stubborn, but he's so resilient and so grateful and just so positive. And so this philosophy, this idea of wagging your tail at the world is called stubborn positivity. And it's really so many people from all walks of life, from a prison to a library to, a, you know, schools and just, you know, all over the, the map physically and 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 um, demographically, people are, are responding to it. And it's, it's just so touching that Fred can continue to, you know, to have this impact through this, this idea that was born and it has been tested and, and it's continuing to be tested. You can't have a philosophy if you're not, if you're not constantly trying to push it and yeah, test if it's it. It's just and,
1: theoretical. What's the point?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the arm armchair philosophy is, uh, we'll save that for the people with the, you know, I just picture people eating grapes and being fanned, like, and mm-hmm. they just come up, but they're not actually trying to test, you know, and, and, uh, this is something that I still have to remind myself of all these years later, I still have to think, you know, back to those first moments. If Fred could wag his tail at me, then why am I getting so frustrated with this post or this page that I'm working on or this, you know, this thing that's not happening the way I want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like I could be
1: Uh, at the coffee shop thirty seconds sooner.
0: Yeah. My day is ruined. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's been such an amazing Journey from where Fred and I started, and uh, we've accomplished and done more than I could have ever imagined. And but at the same time, in so many ways, it feels like we're just getting started, and, that, and I think that's an energy that I want to try to keep throughout my life, you know.
1: Well, thank you for your generosity in sharing Fred uh-huh. and not just keeping his story to yourself because it's in so much good. Uh not just for yourself but for others by sharing it and also for being so generous with your time today and being on dog words and i can't wait until you come back and talk more about stubborn positivity
0: and now that we know where you are we're gonna put a pin in the map and hopefully we'll be crossing by soon and you can meet the man himself in person he he does not disappoint
1: (laughs) it will be an honor and i can't wait
0: (laughs) thank you so much man this has been really fun
1: I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Craig Grossi for joining us today. Links to Craig and Fred online are in the description, plus a couple of videos. FredTheAfghan.com has videos, but I've provided direct links to their video from the Dodo, which was one of the first times Fred made a big splash beyond the world of Craig's circle of friends and family and whoever met him on a walk or at the dog park, and a slightly longer video from Guideposts, which is another wonderful introduction to Fred. There are also links to the Stubbornly Positive podcast with Craig Grossi and Nora Parkington on Apple, Audible, and Spotify. Next time on Dog Words, we explore a holistic approach to animal rescue that helps people, too. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule at thewires.info, and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Current links in the description for more information. Go to rosyfund.org to shop and get links to our social media. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share DogWords. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the contact form at rosyfund.org and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the DogWords podcast. Thank you for listening to DogWords, and remember, we save each other.